0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad.
1: Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to fight me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that i hang out with i got beat up outside of a denny's the rock pile report
2: with buffalo bills season ticket holder
1: drew gear he likes to get max's nose something i can't do with this podcast because i drink too much chris Kruger, my
2: rollerblading
1: blonde mohawk
2: producer the pettiest hardest drinking bills podcast i'm an adult i know what i'm about
3: That's where I came here. I could have just, you know, stayed in LA and just rode off into the sunset and just, you know, rushed with Aaron Donald and, you know, pile up sacks. But, you know, I wasn't content. You know, um I wasn't content where where I was at. I still wanted more and you know, to come here selfishly and, and be the, the only guy to ever win three Super Bowls with three different teams. You know, that's selfishly, that's what I want. This this organization wants the Super Bowl to so win win for both, you know, um for both sides. And um yeah, I just want to be a part of something special. This is a special team. You know, they're they're right on the edge. And I just wanted to be that, that last drop to, you know, overflow these guys, man. Cause Bill's mafia's been waiting for it. You know, Buffalo's been waiting for it. And it, it'll be it'll be crazy if we can go out there and get it done.
1: Welcome everybody to another edition of the Rock Pile Report Podcast. I'm your host, Bill's season ticket holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger. And joining us tonight, Mr. Anthony Prohaska of the Cover One Network. How are you, sir?
4: I'm Glorious. Thank you guys for having me back for, uh, I don't know, it feels like my 70, 78th time. You're, you're right, a
1: roughly? fun. You're a fun hang, although I do have to say, I think you're a dick for writing yourself in as Bradley Cooper from Silverlining Playbooks in the Zoom chat. Like I just
4: think w- what's cool is, I respected you guys and like, your show for like a while. Um, and then got to know you guys a little more. And, and then you
1: totally you know, disrespected us because you're like, oh, now that I've met them, they're idiots.
4: No, like, <laughs> you guys are fantastic. Like, we've, we've actually met in person. Um, I, I, I like you guys as people. And then to know, like, that all three of us just share this love for Silver Linings Playbook, the film, and just the appreciation for it as a quality work of art, the dialogue, the script, the athleticism, and the choreographed dance routines. Like, the fact that all three of us, especially Drew, can just – Vibe on how dope that movie is, and just how the power of dance can overcome all, along with love. Um, it's just something that I think truly connected us, and that's what part of the reason why I really like to come back here and just hang out with you guys.
1: I would rather do I would rather do a two year bid for discharging a weapon inside of a Wendy's <laughs> than watch that movie ever again. That's
4: a very specific thing. <laughs> very specific
1: I shouldn't thing. joke about that because this the. With everything that's going on in our country, I probably shouldn't joke about that because who knows? Someone's probably doing it right now. Fair point. Which is wild. Like we've all lost our minds. But so, speaking of losing our minds, it's the off season, right? It's it's the NFL off season. It's the pre it's the preamble to the preseason. This is
2: where you can create your own headlines.
1: Yeah. Well, this is it. Like this is it's nonsense season, as I like to call it. And it makes it really hard to be a fan of the game of football because there's a lot of stuff that gets thrown around and talked about. And most of it is nonsense. I, the media has to, has a job to do, right? Like they have barrels of ink that they have to spill. Otherwise they get fired. But when you hear some of the stuff getting thrown around, it's enough to make you want to stick your head in the sand like an ostrich and just wait for real football to start. So to parse through what is worth talking about, not worth talking about. I thought you were a good person to bring. In, Cause you're relatively grounded. You know, you seem like a very middle of the road, even keeled human being. You don't get too high. You never seem too low. You seem like a good person to talk to about some of this stuff. For those of you who live under a rock, Anthony Brayask, host of the cover, One, uh, cover one's disguised coverage. Uh, he's a lover of wrestling, the movie silver linings playbook, and a boatload of other things that annoy me. Uh, He's the first person to ever break our recording equipment with his voice. Like just, he yelled so loud that it shorted out the show and I will never forget it. If we want to talk about nonsense, the goofiest off-season talking points so far, because we know that that's, these get manufactured week over week over week, people need something to talk about when it comes to the NFL. Thank God the Bills aren't part of this, but what have been some of your favorites? in terms of just wonky, weird, shitty headlines that you see that you're like, man, I'm glad that's not me.
4: A lot of them are, like, some of them that are kind of steeped in realism. I I, I feel bad, like, enjoying it, but all, like, the quarterback drama for the Cardinals and the Ravens, how, like, everything, like, is just, you know, Kyler takes something off of Instagram and everybody's like, (gasps) oh! he wants to leave or he wants this and then like Lamar shows up and it's like, Oh, did you guys see like the shorts Lamar Jackson was wearing today? He's definitely not coming to camp. He's definitely not going to resign. Like, Oh, and his mom's his agent. Like, Oh, he doesn't have an agent. He probably doesn't want to come back. Oh, like they're just not having to be a part of that drama from a team perspective. And especially from a quarterback perspective, like where every single thing you do is under this bright light and fine microscope to the point that it is just dissected by everyone and everything. Those are, so, you know, those are a little bit, you know, real. I know the Cardinals have, you know, some questions about Kyler Murray and the Ravens with Lamar, but everything is just so blown out of proportion for them and it dominates headlines.
1: The Lamar Jackson point that you just made is actually really funny because he skips all of OTAs. They've got this contract drama going on. Chris, we said it a few weeks ago. His case right now Every agent should be turning to college kids going, this is why. This is why you hire an agent so you don't end up in this quagmire. But what's funny is he skips all of OTAs, shows up at the 11th hour of minicamp, and yet he's being called a total professional, quote-unquote, by his veteran teammates Mark Andrews and Calais Campbell. Now, here's what's funny about that to me. Uh, Lamar is the only quarterback Mark Andrews has ever played with. True or false? Okay. Oh,
4: he played with Flacco for a little bit. Flacco
1: for one season. His, his, his lame duck season. Uh, Campbell's career, Calais Campbell is actually a hilarious situation. His career starters at quarterback. He's, Campbell is an NFL veteran, what, like 13 years? 12? Yeah,
4: roughly, yeah. He had a long career.
1: He had two combined seasons worth of Kurt Warner and Carson Palmer. Then Drew Stanton, Derek Anderson, oh. John Skelton, Kevin oh. Cobb, and Blake Legend. Bortles. Legend. I'm sorry. Claes Campbell isn't qualified to call anybody a professional quarterback because he wouldn't know one if it tripped over him. Oof. Like, like fuck, no. Like, this is ridiculous. Oh, he's a consummate professional. Is he? Is he really doing all the right things? Now, when you look at what happened with the Josh Allen conversation, Josh Allen showed up to camp and everyone kept asking him at the pressers, "Oh, what about your contract? What about this? What about that? And he had no problem looking the media in the eye and going, I'm a football player. I'm here to play football and the contract to work itself out. Did it or did it not?
4: It did. I think the circumstances were a little different, though, with what Lamar has done the timing of these contract extension talks i think that's part of what it is too like josh was coming into the middle ish of his rookie deal whereas lamar is coming to the tail end of it so the talks have intensified and with how focal you know of a point lamar is for that offense where literally everything revolves around him and they revamped it i get why they pay more attention so the circumstances are a little different but yeah it it was handled differently
1: it's funny Then you've got the fact that Dolphins fans are cannibalizing each other on social media because they could have had Tom Brady and Sean Payton running the team.
4: That's a good one. But also with the with the Dolphins, I love how just like Tyreek Hill is kind of like mini scorched earth out there. And it's just not to us better than Patrick Mahomes. And everybody's like, what? Like he's he's not even like he's not even just like walking the line of being like Oh, yeah, like I like to, uh, you know, he's good. I'm excited. You know, they both got their pros and cons. He was just straight out like, no, I prefer to. uh."
1: I'm looking at an article from Pro Football Talk right now as you say that, where they asked Patrick Mahomes, What do you think? So, what do you think about these comments from Tyreek Hill? He goes, I'm surprised a little just because I I felt like we love Tyreek here. (laughs) We always loved him, we still love him. I saw him on a Formula One race, and everything seemed like it was cool. <laughs> He's like, dude, I thought we were friends. And all of a yeah, sudden, you it. just uh, you just shit on me like that? Like, you compare me to that? Cl- that would be, Anthony, that would be like me calling you Charlie Gross. Wow. That would, be, that would be like me comparing you to Charlie Gross.
4: That's, I.
1: Yeah, no, no, we're punching down here. We're punching down here on the Rockpile Report. It's the whiskey. I swear to God. It. It's the, the
0: way wi- <laughs> we don't have an analytics website.
1: <laughs> Wait, an, analy- an analytic website that doesn't, it still doesn't exist. Like if you go to it, it still says it's under construction.
4: <laughs> got his own proprietary formula. Yeah,
1: it's working. Oh, it's working. Proprietary. He'll tell you it's working. Ah, oh, Jesus. Folks, see, see, we're already getting mean. But I feel like that's what this time of year does to people. They, You run out of things to talk about, so you just start throwing jabs at things. You start throwing jabs at different ideas. Luckily, the Buffalo Bills don't have to worry about any of that. They don't. We've had a relatively quiet offseason, and the few turbulent things that we did have going on seem to be working kind of as we would like to see as fans. So with that, I want to pivot to talking about the Bills and just our takeaways from OTAs, minicamps, and just the narrative surrounding this team. And if there's a place I want to start, it's this idea of culture. Because the reason we're not in the headlines, we could be, right? Culture is a funny thing. It's a buzzword that gets chucked around, along with a lot of other buzzwords. Like, what, Anthony, what are some of the cliches that you hear a lot this time here that make you laugh?
4: First one in, last one out. (laughs) Like, does all the right things. Yes. True professional, you know, like all those little... Lamar Jackson's true professional. Everybody everybody gets it. it. Sean McDermott did it for uh, Dane Jackson, you know, talking about how much he likes him. And he was like, you know, he's first guy in, last one Uh, out. Oh, no.
1: It's it's one of those things. Like, there's so many buzzwords that get thrown around that mean nothing. They're just uh, non sequiturs, maybe. I don't don't know what you want to... It, it just sucks. So, it's inten- like culture is one of these things that gets thrown around, but it's intended to try to explain how an NFL franchise that has success not only finds it, but maintains it. Uh. You go, hey, that team just has a winning culture. The culture is steeped in victory. It doesn't matter the types of players they look to attract, the types of players that they develop. What they do with their roster. Everything they touch turns to gold. It gets a, it gets like culture becomes the label that gets pl- plastered over that. And they say, well, the Bills' culture is they develop this type of player. Cornerbacks, based on the Bills' culture, develop very quickly in the Bills' scheme. Blah, 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 blah. The Bills' culture is they're going to be a strong defensive team. I don't know. It, it's almost like it, culture becomes this term that's like, it's an attempt to fill in the gray area between coaching and play calling and roster management, culture, this ambiguous gray area that fills in the rest of the gaps of every successful team that exists out there. The Patriots thought they had it, right? The Patriot way was something that got shoved down our throats for the better part of a decade, maybe two. Uh, the Giants thought they had it because they had a stretch of success. The Seahawks thought they had it. But when all the winning stopped and each one of those teams' Hall of Fame quarterbacks just hit the road, which, uh, that's a whole conversation in itself, how all these winning football teams and these great coaches who have been put on pedestals, all of a sudden their Hall of Fame coaches leave and it turns out they're not that good. Uh, Shocker. Right? Shocker. But, but, I digress that talk of culture kind of faded with the lack of success those franchises had i found a bleacher report article by mike freeman in 2016 that they were ranking every nfl team by culture quote unquote oh and the dolphins were in the top 10 oh. now look at them just 6 years later they've got a quarterback controversy where everyone's like, "Well, you wanted to," ch-. it's like you wanted to cheat on your girlfriend, but you didn't because you might get caught. Or, "Hey, I wanted to hire an escort, but it was going to cost me too much, so I didn't. So at least I didn't cheat on you, honey. Aren't you happy about that?" Like that's Did how you to- date a escort from Franklinville. <sighs> <sighs> uh she was over six feet tall. I can tell you that, and uh, oh, I can tell you all kinds of things. I won't. Because this isn't what the, the podcast was not meant to be a, a grounds for me to air my grievances.
4: That's a silver lining.
1: Yeah, that's a silver line. Yeah, that's what silver linings playbook is for, right? Like,
4: oh, my God, I hate that's you. A quality film. I hate you. Cinema, cinema. That's what I would use to describe that movie. Quality cinema.
1: So they've got a quarterback controversy, a former coach who's suing the franchise and a 22 year playoff drought. Or playoff victory drought Staring them in the face 22 years since they won A playoff game The Patriot way How quickly did that did, We don't hear about that Anymore do we
4: No not as much now. No it's, it's gone of, uh, Yeah it's falling apart A little it bit It doesn't
1: exist Why because their Hall of Fame quarterback Left The wild card game and now they're oh oh my god! If if, it, if if it wasn't dead already, that wild card game just showed everybody like listen, the Patriot way. This is now the Patriot way.
2: Yeah, it it killed it, dead. Would you
1: agree right. with me, Anthony, if I said that the conventional idea of culture, winning culture, and the I don't know the team builders associated with it? It's all tied more to wins and losses than it is to what the team is actually made of, philosophically.
4: Oh, I think that's it's it's tied to it's. Oh, I think it's always tied to what the team is made of, but who comprises the team. But culture, I think, can easily fade away if you're no longer winning. No, that's it. The, like second every, start, yeah, that, that, the second you
1: start, the second you start losing games, the emotional and professional makeup of your your roster. Like the players that are under this franchise's leadership, they it's like that gets thrown out the window. If you're not winning, yep. that doesn't matter.
4: Yeah, that that's what it comes down to. Like it's, and again, I, I think it, for most teams, I think it's more buzzword used by the media to exactly like what you said, or like fill in the gaps and fill in the gray area and sell articles and storylines and talk about different things. But again, it is, it is steeped in realism to a degree. I think the Patriot Way was legit for a long time, and that Patriot way was people thought if they came to New England, they would win, and they believed in Belichick, and so they would do anything and everything Belichick says. Um, but I think the Patriot way in terms of culture like was real for that time, but I think a lot of times culture is overblown um, and just you know, thing a buzzword that's given life in order to make storylines. But for the Bills, it's real as well.
1: Well, it's real because McDermott, and the way you know that is McDermott was installing it here before he even landed his franchise quarterback. Yep. You know, the Patriot way was built around Tom Brady and it dissipated the second he left. We didn't have a Hall of Fame quarterback. And at the same time, you have a head coach and GM who come in as kind of rookies and they say, okay, here's uh-huh. what we're going to do. We're going to take this underachieving roster and we're going to get rid of everybody who has any kind of household name. Fuck you, Sammy Watkins. F- uh, <laughs> fuck you, Ron Darby. Yeah. Go Fuck on. you, Marcel Darius. Captain your boat. Take a, you know what we're going to do? You and your kid, put your captain head on. We're going to put you on a slow boat to China. AKA Jacksonville. That's where you're going. And then they found a way to add pieces like Richie Incognito, who is a still like, and he always was, even when he was in Bill's uniform, he was a volatile human being and he rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. But you could put him in the locker room with a guy like Lorenzo Alexander, and they could get along. They could find enough common ground that they could go to war next to each other. And got them to work together well enough that you made the playoffs. Like, I, I found a way to bridge this gap here that everyone else couldn't do. I did the thing. I took an, I took a talent that was a, a roster that had didn't have a lot of talent on it, and I, I pushed them to something good.
4: Yeah, they made they, they made that team from scratch. Like even even with, you know, not to discredit Belichick or or give too much credit to the Patriots or players. We're just going especially if we're going to use that as the example. But they had certain players that were already established when Brady came along and when Belichick was there. Like Teddy Bruschi was a fixture and Lawyer Malloy was a fixture, and you had Ty Law and you had Willie McGinnis and you had pieces on the offensive line. The Bills had none of that. McDermott and Bean literally took over and were like, "Cool, I like the bones of this house." Let's gut the whole thing, knock down some walls, we need new cabinets, we need new flooring, we need new everything, and they built a brand new house within the bones of the old house, and now everybody wants to come and chill in that house because it's fucking beautiful.
2: Right? Are you talking about, are you sure you're not talking about an actual house that you might be looking at?
4: I wish, dude. This market sucks. I'm so yeah. fucking stressed. There's no, all jokes aside, there's no fucking silver linings in this market right now. Like, I can't even make a funny connection with that. It sucks. I hate it. So, it's like um going out to the market, you know, and Chris and Drew, you'll definitely get this, but going out to the market now, I just feel like, I initially felt like confident, like I had someone like my partner was behind me, and now I just feel like I'm Jungle Boy, and Christian Cage just hit me with a kill switch, and he's just hitting me with with a chair, and I just got hit with a concerto in front of my mom and sister, live on AEW Dynamite. Drew, I know you obviously know what I'm talking about. It's just, it's just rough, man. You just The rug gets pulled out from under you, and next thing you know, kill switch.
1: I, w- I just, I can't <laughs> tell you. Like I watched you, it today. I could, Iman Herbert, do you see this? Was, this is what they do to me. It was easy. This is you is what could, they do to me. They pro harbor me with this
2: shit. You went into you Wednesday night. Happening. You went into Wednesday night. Was
1: I was it? so excited to answer your yeah. And then I, when I, I realized I, I was getting drawn into a bit. Like, on I Op- watched
4: it gloss over your face.
1: On, on Opie <laughs> and Anthony, they used to do a thing where uh, Jimmy Norton had never listened to – he'd never seen Seinfeld before. So Anthony Cumia would just very slowly start like telling a story that was very clearly a Seinfeld episode yeah. And it was on him to determine whether or not it was real. And That's you'd watch funny. Jim Norton get sucked into it to a certain point. And he's like, why would they, why would a Chinese restaurant stop delivering to your house? Because you'd, they, they can't blacklist you. That's nonsense. Oh my God. He's, oh
2: it didn't come my through. God. It didn't come through. All we get is Iman.
4: Oh man.
1: Yeah. And,
2: Anthony sees it.
0: This is.
1: I see it. This <laughs> is the worst, Chrissy. You guys are conspiring against me. Here's what I'm trying to say, guys. The <laughs> process. Everyone can laugh at this. <laughs> this filter that you have on right
4: now is ridiculous. Christ, Christian trusts trust the process. He's process all day.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: hundred yeah. percent.
1: Right now, there's just a picture of me flexing. It's terrible. I, I, I yeah, through
2: this. the Christian heel turn, which we all yeah. saw. If you're watching, if you were watching Dynamite last night, you knew Christian was going to turn heel. Oh, well, we knew it was coming. He, he volunteered yeah. them
4: for that for that tag team title ladder match last week. What is he doing? Yeah, That's a heel yeah. Move. we all saw it coming. We, we knew it. Yeah. What do you think? Remember that? when I you talked about firing
2: a
1: gun in public? I might do it right now. I swear <laughs> to God, someone hand me a firearm. <laughs> so when we talk about the process, and people scoff about it. The culture that they've built was on display when you look at OTA's and mandatory minicamp. First of all, perfect attendance again for the Buffalo Bills. No one pulling a Melvin Ingram. Miami signed this guy, and everyone goes, Oh, good, great. He's that like one savvy veteran missing piece thing. He's had two sacks in two seasons, and he shows up, signs his contract, and then tells the media, you won't see me till training camp. Oh, good. Glad, glad we got you here. Wonderful. Uh, and then you got, you look around the league at ho- holdouts and hold ins. Uh, defensive end Robert Quinn for Chicago. Terry McLaurin for Washington. Uh, Metcalf in Seattle. Rodney Hudson, the center in Arizona. He's like, hey, you're going to pay this quarterback? You better pay me too. Orlando Brown, the left tackle in Kansas City, still hasn't even signed his franchise tag. Like, you traded for that guy. You knew that he was going to demand a high salary. You know you can't get into a protracted salary fight with him, right?
4: No, he would break a protractor in half or (coughs) any type of, you know, architectural device.
1: Those are players that are looked at as being integral parts of their team's success. And they're pursuing their financial interests first. They're putting that ahead of team. I'm not going to hate on them because the NFL is a business. and We know it's a grimy business. It puts it. The NFL is a machine and it eats these guys up and spits them out. We know that. So I don't begrudge anybody from trying to get their money. And I think that a lot of fans sometimes need to detach themselves from that dynamic. But here we are with one of our own strong safety, Jordan Poyer, who's in the exact same boat. And he's hired an agent who's infamous for chicanery and shenanigans. Tell me the last time a player going into a contract year who had Drew Rosenhaus associated
2: with him. Tell me the last time that went well.
4: well the no, yeah. There's a the, Anthony. There's it's a few Anthony, it's kind are,
2: Anthony, yeah. like Drew Rosenhaus. We know, just kind of like Stokely Hathaway.
4: Oh, right? right. Yeah, just, just. <laughs> I can see the disappointment just wash over his face.
2: Right, it's 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 a, it's a, it's a similar thing.
4: It's not Yeah, and you know you it's the exact same. It's the exact same Same thing. It's the exact it's the same, same thing, thing. the par- the the parallels are uncanny is what they are.
1: I'm eating chips on a podcast, that's how angry you <laughs> I hate you both. This,
4: this brings me so much joy. <laughs> I'm
1: sorry. But so I guess my point is Jordan Poyer's not just like, he's not just here. It's not the hold in. He's practicing. He's here and he's decided he's going to contribute. Yeah. Tell me that that is not culture, right? Yeah. It underscores that he he has an accountability to his teammates who they always talk about it being a family. And how that matters more. Well, uh-huh. You see it. It shows signs. I think that he trusts our front office that they'll take care of him. He's like, look, I'm here. I'm doing the work. Just like every other guy who ever had contract questions but showed up and did the work. We made it. We figured it out. He uh-huh. trusts Brandon Bean to sort this out enough that he's willing to put his physical safety on the line. Uh-huh. And it also underscores that all of this talk about playoff caliber championship caliber the process is not just lip service players genuinely want to be here and be a part of this thing that sean mcdermott has built how yeah how big of a departure is that from what we as bills fans have gotten to know over the last 20 years
4: oh it's a massive departure we've had inconsistency in front office in on the field play, in roster development, in coaching, in message, in continuity, anything and everything from coach to coach and GM to GM, and just the amount of it again, the lack of sustainability and continuity you've had as an organization has plagued this team since uh, since since Wade Phillips started Rob Johnson over Doug Flutie against the Titans in the playoffs, and it's just gotten progressively worse every year. And to see now where. You know, Von Miller talked about it in his presser a little bit. He talked about, like, I was still on the fence when I, when I was on the plane to Buffalo. And then I talked to Sean McDermott and that was like the, that was the tipping point for me. And, you know, he was genuine and real and authentic. And I said, that's a coach I want to play for. That's a premier dude, a bona fide stud, Hall of Famer who has, who the, an organization and the leader of that organization, Sean McDermott, got his buy in, let alone everyone else that came through the fire with him. The Micah Hydes, the Jordan Poyers, the Tredavious Whites, the Matt Milanos, all those guys. And they stick around because they know, A, what this team can be. They know what they have together. And whether Poyer made an individual decision to be like, well, you know, if I I sit out, nothing benefits me. And because of the rules of the CBA and he didn't want to lose money, didn't want to get fined you know, maybe there's, I'm sure there's some part of that too, but I think, or at least I like to believe that he chose a bigger reason than himself. And he showed up because, you know, whether it's the culture or whether it's his obligation to his teammates or because he's a leader on this team and he wanted to set an example, you know, it's great to see him there and full attendance across the whole for this entire team.
1: So this makes for a nice segue into Buffalo Bills talk. We're talking about Von Miller. You heard at the top of the show. He's here for a championship. He came here because he wants to be a difference maker on a team that. He first, said it first. Had,
2: first player in three in first player ever with a Super Bowl championship to three teams.
1: And he said it. He All goes right. selfishly. I want to be that guy. I want that credit to my name. But also, I see this team and I know what it's capable of, and I'm here to try to be that extra piece. He's like, I think they're already contenders. I want to be that extra piece that carries them over the top. When's the last time, you, since you were old enough to drive, that a Hall of Fame player said, I want to go play for the Buffalo Bills?
2: I'll answer that, yes. since you said uh, a Hall of Fame player. Uh, the year after I graduated, incoming freshman to high school, was Taylor Dolman, daughter to Chris Dolman from the Vikings. You're welcome. I... I don't even know what to say to that. Yeah, I know. I went to high school with uh, athletes. I get it.
4: And I was yet, say Vontae
2: Davis. Well, oh, yeah, Vontae Davis.
4: <laughs> Hall of Famer, that's what we're talking about, right?
1: The ripple effects in terms of what that means to the room, what that well, what mm. the kind of talk does. I mean, outs, wh- wh- he makes a point during his show. Almost no... Uh, Almost no one on the defensive line, outside of Basham, maybe Rousseau, is a young player in the NFL. Because these guys aren't still finding their way. They all have knowledge of what it takes to be a pro, and a lot of them are already familiar with the pressure that comes with being one of, quote-unquote, the guys on a team somewhere in the NFL. Shaq Lawson got hired by Miami to be one of the guys. People forget about that. Uh, Daquan was one of the b- primary interior defenders for Tennessee for a very long time Rousseau I I said earlier maybe not him but he was our de facto what d1 he was our most effective against the run he saw oh, he was
4: tremendous against the run last year yeah
1: saw a bulk of the early down snaps and then would get put out there in certain pass rush situations uh-huh. uh, Phillips between Buffalo and Arizona. You're talking about he twice now. Teams have looked at him as we need you to be one of our primary players on the interior defensive line. Then you add in the Ed Olivers and you add in guys who were already here. This defensive line rotation has, <coughs> it's a different veteran group, but it's got that, it's, it's a different group of veterans, but, I feel like there's no pressure among them. Would you agree with him in that? Like These players all come in here with kind of a mindset of, we know what's expected for us at the NFL level.
4: Yeah, I think what's nice about the the way the defensive line has been put together is you've got a good mix of somebody who's clearly at the forefront of that group with Von Miller, bona fide Hall of Famer, and so he can kind of carry the mantle as the mouthpiece and the focal point and all that. And then everything else, you've got a good mixture of, proven NFL talent, guys who are comfortable being in this league. They know it's expected of them week in and week out, day in and day out. And then you still have a mix of young guys like the, I would still throw Ed Oliver into that boat, but the Gregory Rousseau's, the AJ Finesse's, the Boogie Basham's. So you've got this nice mix of veteran experience, young talent. And now that you've added Von Miller, Everybody else other than Von Miller kind of just gets to be themselves, whether it's on the field, whether it's in front of the camera or on the microphone, like there's a lot of pressure and weight that's lifted from the rest of these guys and they just get to function in their role and live in their world. And when you've got that mix of young talent being able to flourish and function, they get to develop and progress. And then when you've got other veterans and established guys who don't have to bear that heavy burden of being the media focal point, they get to just keep doing what has got them to this point and allows them to potentially succeed.
1: So as we go down the line of, like, what makes the media, what fans have been talking about and what actually matters, the young cornerbacks and defensive backs have gotten a lot of talk, right? Like, they've gotten a lot of, I don't know, and they've been on display during practice. Leslie Frazier, he goes in front of the microphone for the first time, and he makes a point of mentioning Demar Hamlin in the absence of Jordan Poyer. How much weight do you think that that gives DeMar Hamlin as far as this might be a guy who has the inside track to a roster spot?
4: I think with how he mentioned Hamlin, it's a little different than in the vein that he mentioned Dane Jackson. I think he, he mentioned Hamlin kind of a similar breath to how he mentioned Jaquan Johnson and spoke with some specificity more for Hamlin than he did Jaquan. Um, but I think anytime you hear, the more detail you hear from a coach about a player, Especially when they don't necessarily have to give that detail, the more encouraging it is when you think of the the potential progression and track that that player is on. And we continue to hear from whether it's Frazier or McDermott or players. Um, you know, we hear good things that are said about Demar Hamlin, and it's nice to know that he's progressing, um, at least at some rate and with some kind of positive trajectory. Considering you know maybe he's needed in the coming years somehow, some way.
1: So we're talking about that. And like you said, Dane Jackson, Dane Jackson is a guy that he also mentioned and he spoke highly of. He talked about hey. him
4: one of the best young tackling.
1: So when you think about the fact that he did get talked about as a very physical young corner in the NFL, he's got, he knows what he's dealing with, right? Like he's got this kind of, it's a game of musical chairs, outside cornerback for this team because you drafted Kyir Elam. You know, he's comes in with a very physical brand of football. He plays the run. Okay. He, he presses at the line. He does all these things, but Dane showed himself pretty well down the stretch last season. Didn't he? I mean, you're the uh, film yeah, guy here.
4: Uh, yeah. I've watched them once or twice. <laughs> Dane, <laughs> Dane Jackson is, it's, It's a shame that he has the athletic limitations that he does because that's what limits his ceiling, and his ceiling is limited, but he gives you a known quantity and a known floor. He's a good football player, and he played in Pat Narduzzi's scheme and system at the University of Pittsburgh, and that made him a natural fit coming into Buffalo. Similar uh, situation for DeMar Hamlin coming from Pitt as well. But Dane Jackson is a smart, responsible football player. He's got good zone eyes. He understands how to leverage space. He understands how to, like, play the position of cornerback. Similar to how, like, you've got a pitcher who's going out there throwing 99 and 100, and then you've got more of, like, the Greg Maddox who knows how to be a pitcher. Dane Jackson is in that mold of he knows how to play the game, and he's good. Like, he's a good professional cornerback. He's just limited by his athleticism and some of that physical upside which limits the ceiling but you continue to see when you put on the tape you see the physicality whether it's in the detailed things like you know coming down from the corner spot on a crack replace and fulfilling his duty there or making a tackle one-on-one with DK Metcalf or Leonard Fournette he does the things that you like as a coach and as a person who's an evaluator and the coaches keep speaking highly of him
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: So knowing what we know about Sean McDermott and how he treats rookies, we know that there's a, there's a likely chance that Kyrie Elam is going to have to start as a rookie. Right, yes. like there, there, there's we we don't like to think that Trey White will be full go for Week One, but I feel like that's I don't I don't either I just, I don't I, expect to
4: see him until October.
1: That's it. The team would be very smart if you think that you're a Super Bowl contender. Is that
2: Steelers or Packers?
4: The they would be Steelers. Packers is later in October.
2: Yeah.
1: Which is hilarious because those were our th- two of our three opening primetime games, and you're already talking yeah. about getting outside of the first month and a half of football.
4: It would be, yeah, it would be more Packers. And exactly your point, real quick. Like you want, I would love for Trey to be ready for the Rams Week One. I would love to have Trey against Allen Robinson and Cooper Cup and Matthew Stafford. I would much rather have a healthy Trey White for December and January and February than I would for September. So
1: if you're trying to gear up for a Super Bowl run and you say, hey, Trey White, we're going to put you on the pup list for the first six weeks. That gives us another window where we can slow play your rollout to the roster. We can kind of weigh our options. We don't have to handicap ourselves. And we don't risk you re-injuring that prematurely. We're not rushing you back to the field because we want you for the long haul. If that's the case... I. I don't know, I just I look at it and I go, they they, they can delay this game of musical chairs It's gonna take place at outside cornerback, but ultimately knowing what we know about this franchise and how Sean McDermott has handled rookies, Kyer Elam as it relates to what they've said positively about Dane Jackson, do you believe that with if a white return was imminent, what's Kyer Elam's upshot to the roster over Dane Jackson? Is he a guy who's fighting for starters reps? I mean, Frazier made a comment that he's like, well, this is a good time because he's learning to do all the zone things that we need him to do, learning where the your eyes should be. Stuff. learning all the off-coverage stuff. Because they, throughout these early portions of practices, these cornerbacks can't put hands on anybody. Uh-huh. You can't play physically. So with yeah. that in mind, he has no choice but to become a zone corner, and they're trying to mold him like that. How likely is it, though, that he could be marginalized because of Dane Jackson here in 2022?
4: If, if Trey plays Week One, or even when Trey comes back, granted, there's a lot of variables. If if Trey misses some time, and then you have that means you've got Dane and Kyir. You're starting two corners, and then you kind of see how they both play and go from there. But if everybody was healthy and coming into this season. I think you would see Tredavious White being corner number one, and I think you would see a platoon system of sorts between Dane Jackson and Kyer Elam based on matchup, based on situation. Um, You know, again, just to – Kyer Elam has a lot of the physical tools and intangibles you want to see. He's got the length. He's got the size. He's got the frame. He's got the speed. He's got what you want to see. But, you know, based on what he did at Florida and based on, you know, like what Leslie Frazier said, based on what is going to be required of him, In the NFL, from an off-coverage standpoint, from a zone standpoint, from a non-man, non-press standpoint, from all those areas where Kyrie Elam is either A, not comfortable, or B, needs a little more refinement, I think it's fully, I don't want to say expected, but I think there's reasonable expectation that even if Trey was good to go, you would see some sort of platooning system. Kind of like what you saw with Levi Wallace and Kevin Johnson in the 2019 season, and they rotate them out and go back and forth. And again, that's, that's not a knock on Elam. I think that's also part of being a credit to Dane Jackson. I, I wanted a corner too with physical gifts and upside to allow for scheme versatility since off, since last offseason. I was banging the drum for a corner. I did the same thing uh, going into this offseason instead of multiple times on this show. But there are a lot of good things that Dane Jackson does well. You put on some of the tape and you're watching him cover cover Rob Gronkowski one-on-one down the field. And you're watching him hold his own a little bit with Mike Evans And some of those guys in Tampa in that same game. And, yes, he's going to have those physical limitations at times. But he's a guy that I think fans should have confidence in. And regardless of if fans have confidence or not, the coaching staff has confidence in him. You hear what Frazier said last week and McDermott this week. He said that Dane Jackson is a winner. Him and Frazier both talk about how whenever he's called upon, he answers the bell. He steps in and does his job. All of those things that would indicate they have faith in him. And when they have faith in a guy at a premier position, they're going to see the field somehow.
1: So let's change gears here. The Bills wide receiver core, because this is one where we we were actually tweeting about it today. And I made a snarky comment about someone I already beat up. uh, I'll do it again. So we were talking about Thad Brown's tweet on Tavon Austin's route running and how they're like, oh, look, uh, Jenna Cottrell. She's tweeting about how, oh, Tavon Austin is impressing everybody out here, and he's working with you. One of Schindler. those clips
4: was real, though. One of those clips where he runs the blaze out, which is a post corner, that was legitimately a good route. I don't care if it was against air or not. That was a good route, but a lot of everything else was fluff, to your point.
1: Okay. So this is happening, and it comes out, and they're like, well, can we just call him a roster lock? And I said, no, no, no. No, no. Well, oh, someone wow. said, oh, no, we should talk about him being on the roster. And I said, no, no, what we need to do Can we, at this point in the season, declare him a roster lock, quote unquote, and then for the next two and a half months, just pound that drum, and when it doesn't work out, just hope that our conviction in it makes us still like, hey, well, at least he believed in something. Right? That's credible. That's how you do content creation.
4: That's how this thing works, right? Yeah. Just, you know fake it until you make it believe in the nonsense and build the hype up yourself.
1: So, so the reality is that we have a log jam. The reason that Tavon Austin isn't being taken seriously as a threat to make this roster is because when you look at the slot receiver options for the bills, there is a logjam. even if no one wants to talk about it. Crowder McKenzie, Shakir, Stevenson, Austin, they all play the same roles. You can only have so many of those guys on one roster at one time. Yeah, Crowder, reliable. What surprising to me about Crowder, not just the fact that he was, he's a known quantity as a slot receiver. And his yards after the catch are more than what we got out of Beasley over the last few Actually, years.
4: Actually, that's a, I kind of wanted to dispel that rumor. They're that, not crazy far not off. Crazy far, far off. off. Jamison Crowder, for his career, yards after catch per reception, it's only point six more than Cole Beasley.
1: Sure, for his career, but over, the la- over last season?
4: Cole Beasley know. had more yards after catch per reception last year than Jamison yes. Crowder did.
1: And he was playing with Zach Wilson.
4: Yeah, and, Jay- and Cole Beasley was playing with busted ribs where he could barely move.
1: All right, this is fair. See, well, okay, all right.
4: I I, I will see you. I, I do think, to your point, I do think Jameson Crowder is better with run after the catch than Cole Beasley. I just, I feel like it's gotten to the point now where everybody thinks like, when he gets the ball in his hands, oh my God, he's going to be, it's it, it's no, not that much of a disparity. difference. Correct.
1: But then you've got McKenzie, this untapped potential unknown quantity. But when you've seen it, you liked your returns, right? Mm-hmm. When you saw McKenzie being a, a wide receiver, Primarily, instead of just being a gadget player. Chris,
2: your hatred for McKenzie over the years. Speak on it. It's not hatred. It's I think we can find a guy at a younger age and less money to pay to do the same
1: job. Okay, so then McKenzie goes out there and just abuses New England's interior cornerbacks for over 100 yards.
2: Okay, how many times did he do
1: that? It's the, it's the How many, time I'm, they gave him. That was the time. game where they featured him. And they said, listen, we know this is the one, weakness of their corner. The one we- time.
4: But they fe- – I, I had a lot – I put out a tweet today and said – and I don't want to go into that specific that tweet. But there's been a lot of comments that have come my way this offseason regarding of McKenzie, Beasley, Crowder. I like Isaiah McKenzie. There's a reason why his opportunities came in that game against New England. Not a lot of teams play the Buffalo Bills with the the amount of man coverage that the Patriots did and the amount of single high looks that New England Patriots did. Combine that with Miles Bryant being that guy. Combine that with the New England Patriots wanting to double both Stephon Diggs and Cole Beasley. You got a ton of one-on-one matchups with Isaiah McKenzie where – and I'm not telling him short because he played phenomenal in that game – all he had to do was run away from Miles Bryant. And the fact that, he, that was easy. All he had to do—he didn't have to do anything creative. There wasn't a ton of nuance. It was just like, yo, that dude in front of you is mad slow. Go run away from him and get open. And he did that time and time again. There's a reason why he was more matchup based. So now a man,
2: imagine- can we? Can, let me. Well, let me step in here.
4: Okay, Anthony, take the wheel, Hoss.
2: Anthony Perhaska. <laughs> yeah, he's the equivalent of smart Mark Sterling. For the Bill's podcast community I am yeah, you are
4: I don't know if that's a compliment
2: it is a compliment because okay. it's it's like you're the lawyer of of Bill's mafia because I was like, yeah, I'm not a f-, like yeah, he got one opportunity and and made a thing of it against the Patriots, and then you took it and went, well yeah, here's why yeah. I Sorry, wouldn't have been, been, been able bad. to do the here's why. <laughs> That's why you're like Smart Mark Sterling, Smart Mark, Smart Anthony Prohaska. It, it doesn't it be Jade
4: Cargo, Chris. Yeah,
2: it, yeah, it, it doesn't have the same uh, same effect as, as as a Smart Mark Sterling that that just rolls off your tongue.
1: So what I look at though is I see then we draft Sh- uh, Khalil Shakir. Yeah, now this is a guy with legitimate chops. He put there. up a lot of great stats in college. Great downfield speed. He's got a lot of factors that you like about it. And then you've got Stevenson, who you could say Shakir wouldn't be on the roster if Stevenson was good at
2: football.
4: I forgot about Stevenson. Yeah, Stevenson. we all I know Everyone did.
2: We even, all did. Even with the preseason punt return for a touchdown against yeah, Chicago. he hurt
4: himself. He hurt yeah. himself on that play and outran everybody on one leg.
1: So, so the reality <laughs> here is that this, that there, there are like – Five, six bodies vying for what are maybe two jobs here on the active roster. When when training camp starts, these guys all have to go up against one another. They're all going to be jockeying for possessions. I don't know. I, I guess when I think about the wide receiver room as a whole, how many jobs are actually up for grabs? What do you think? Maybe two of these guys?
4: Oh Well, one, it's going to come down to how many they're going to carry. On the roster, too, it's going to come down to who is the primary returner, which we expect to be one of the wide receivers, which we also know that Sean McDermott, whoever is his primary returner, he doesn't like them to do much of anything else, so that's no. going to factor in. But honestly, I think after you've got Stephon Diggs, you've got Gabriel Davis, even though Crowder is on low money and low term, I, I fully expect him to make this roster. But other than – really, you could even – but if, if someone wanted to make a case – That Jamison Crowder isn't going to make this roster I wouldn't think that was wild or nuts or crazy I really think after Davis and Stefan Diggs there's a bunch of question marks and you can kind of fill in the (laughs) blanks wherever you want but realistically I think you're probably like you said you've got like four or five guys fighting for like two spots and
1: so when you talk about this Tavon Austin love that's being broadcast everywhere that we're talking about these shitty offseason storylines there's a legitimate chance that his ability as a kick returner, if he shines, if he legitimately has the off season of his career, there's a spot for him on this roster. If he can pull it off, yeah, there's a off.
4: chance. There's a chance. I mean, he, if he truly is healthy, like he says he is now, if he truly has the juice and the wheels. Like he says he does now. This is a guy I, – I know a lot of it is smoke and mirrors and pipe dream stuff and everybody – like you said, everybody's making the jokes now because of how much love he got. So now you've got the opposite, right? You had the media that you know heaped all this praise upon him in minicamp. Now you've got everybody on the social media side who are just making jokes about it, and now there's kind of nowhere in between. But given the state of this grouping and the role that he fits, and the athleticism that he may still have in the tank, I don't. I'm not going to go anywhere near saying that he's a roster lock, especially because what he did in minicamp, like that, is just too far fetched at this point. But if we're sitting here on opening week and Tavon or Austin is on the roster, I don't. Th- like I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be surprised. Because who, who, realistically, who does he have to beat out? He has to beat out Marcus Stevenson. He probably has to beat out Isaiah McKenzie, and I like Isaiah McKenzie. I like his role, but maybe there's a chance that Tavon Austin does that role better. Maybe the juice is back. He's a – I tell you what, from a decision-making standpoint and from an electricity standpoint in the return game – He's got the juice that McKenzie does, but if the decision-making and ball security is better in the return game, then he's got a leg up on McKenzie. We know Marcus Stevenson has already come into camp, and he's dropping balls left and right in the the receiving game, which means he's got to be a plus matchup in the return game. That's where all these variables are, and so he's got a path to the roster. Is it realistic and likely? I'm not going to say that, but if Tavon Austin makes this roster, I wouldn't call it crazy. I wouldn't be shocked.
1: And there's one off-season storyline as we head into training camp that no one's talked about that I think I want to pick your brain about. This one hasn't been made press. I'm hoping I can start the tidal wave. These pre-season camp, pre-training camp ads at offensive line in the interior, Uh. and whether or not it's Cody Ford's swan song. Uh. Let's talk about this. So for the second straight year, the Bills added – A number of veteran players on the interior of the offensive line. Last year, it was Forrest Lamp. And I, Chris, we got so far behind that signing that we had uh, Garrett Sisti from the Lightning Round podcast (laughs) over there, a uh, a Chargers fan, to talk to us about what he
2: could be. Why don't you read this third one down? Why are you waving us around? Oh,
1: yeah. Lamp over Ford at guard.
2: Yeah. Who? Yeah, who? From who? I can't read that. Is it the lights in the way? No, I just can't read your handwriting. I can't read my hand. That's what perfect. It? it says Kyle, as in Kyle Trimble.
1: Oh, yeah, Kyle Trimble. Still owes
2: us a Seagram.
1: Heard that podcast and was like, you know what? I'm, I like that podcast enough that I'm convinced. Forrest Lamp, he'll beat out Cody Ford. His injury history just reared up and bit him in the ass. Yes, yes. But Very when you... Nice. Lose, I don't know. The, I'm not fond of any of these acquisitions, but when you line up next to Cody Ford,
2: ah,
1: the devil I know versus the devil I don't, I don't know.
2: It's different if you line up against Cody Ford at the Chop House downtown.
1: Yeah, we did. <laughs> that, that That actually happened. In fact, uh, Anthony, you'll appreciate this. So uh, you're one of your co-hosts on the Cover One Network, uh,
2: Greg and Aaron were both there. I saw Cody Ford in the parking lot as I showed up. We were
4: going Oh, I think to- you've told me the story. He was in like a red sweatsuit. Oh, <laughs>
1: so here's the best part, though. All day we're talking about going to the chop house so I can pay off my stake bet to Greg Thompson. The, the, my Colts wild card game stake bet. And we're in the parking lot. And well, first of all, the run up to the day. Aaron's complaining all day about how he doesn't have dress clothes. He's like, I'm a stay at home dad. What do you want from me? I own a couple jackets and some jeans. I wear a lot of sneakers, some sandals, some Crocs. I was like, dude, if you just show-? so he Jerry Seinfeld did it. He wore a suit coat and some New Balances and some jeans, and it. and it was fine. But he he was grumpy about it. He was mad that he had to dress up. And then while we were waiting, Cody Ford walked past us wearing a, wearing sweatpants and a Kool-Aid man-sized red t-shirt. Baller. <laughs> they did not Love throw it. him out, but they would have loved to kick any of us out for it. Right? Well, yeah. Because that's how that works. They understand
2: that. They know that, his income.
1: So yeah. when I look at this, and I say to myself, I, I look at who they, like the makeup now, Van Rotten. They bring in Greg Manns as a backup center because that was the big thing. Well, we don't know who the swing set. Oh, well, well, we got one now. Greg Manns, our tackle room has gotten deeper. We drafted more guys. Tommy Sweeney has gotten a little bit of NFL experience. Bobby Hart is back in the fold somehow. The reality is when you look around, Ike Bocker here is here who played over Cody Ford. When you take all of that into account, They've insulated this interior offensive line group with veteran talent outside of their starters. Where does Cody Ford fit into this? Because out of anybody, and this is why it's not a headline, but it should be, there's been zero talk about Cody Ford at all this offseason. This time of year, like you said, when coaches talk up a player, it's a good thing. When you hear nothing about a player who's in a contract year, that's a bad thing.
4: Yeah. I mean, we heard a bunch of positives about him last year and he didn't end up playing good. So maybe it's a, maybe they're superstitious and they're like, let's say nothing. And then he'll play fantastic. (sighs) Um, I I, I think with, well, one, I love the Aaron Cromer hire. It's right up there. It's like a one, a one B with the signing of Von Miller. Like, I just think coach Cromer is phenomenal. And if anybody can get blood from the Cody Ford stone, it is coach Aaron Cromer. I'm not reading too much into the signings on the offensive line other than just camp bodies' depth. The bills had a bunch of roster spots left over, and you get guys banged up all the time in the trenches. It's the most physical position, battling grouping throughout training camp, throughout preseason, all that stuff, and you don't want to have to throw anybody in there one more rep than you have to. So I'm not reading it I'm not reading into the tea leaves too much on anything for Cody Ford. But I do think it's very interesting to see what his, he was a second round pick. The Bills traded up for him and especially the position grouping where. There's legitimate long-term questions on the interior of the offensive line. It was part of the reason why I wanted Dylan Parham, the guard from Memphis, in the third round of this year's draft instead of Terrell Bernard, who I do like as well. But similar to last year, um, you know, I wanted Cree Humphrey when the Bills took Boogie Basham. Yeah, we instead.
1: all did. And I hey, and whoa, whoa, and I said that, and Greg Thompson lost his mind. It was one of the coolest moments in podcasting I've had. Why? Like why I, I, lose his mind? Oh, because I know how to formulate questions that just aggravate him.
2: I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that Boogie Basham was a healthy scratch for most of the season, while Creed Humphrey yes. was tearing it up at his position. So, but, the, but somebody like me, as a as a casual fan, I see that I'm like, we're benching this guy that was. We took while that, what was it, the next pick or the two
4: picks after? I think it was literally the, like next, the pick next pick. No, was, it was like,
2: the year, next the pick. The next pick was because Creed Humphrey. Year, I remember
4: this year it was Bernard and the next pick was Parham. And I was like, again, two years in a row?
1: I remember thinking, well, it, it sucks that the Chiefs are going to get Boogie Bashing because I liked him because I thought oh. we were going to take Creed Humphrey. And then when we didn't, and then we took that guy, I was like, I'm happy, but I'm not. Because I know that that's a good football player. Turns out he's a great football player. And so what happens is is that I say to Greg, ah, the Bills passed on him, and he snaps. He goes, everyone passed on him. Everyone passed on
2: him multiple times, so stop saying that. Drew's the only one to get Greg (laughs) Thompson to snap.
1: His own cousin admitted, he goes, the only time I've ever heard Greg raise his voice is at Christmas time. When he goes, it's present time, like he's Bruce Buffer. He goes, that's the only time I've ever heard Greg raise his voice. So we played the audio for him at a tailgate and he was shocked. He's like,
4: wait, this was on an episode.
1: No, this was, Oh yeah. No, this, yeah was this was on a podcast. On
4: yeah.
2: This was on a
1: podcast. Yes, I
2: can play it for you later. Yeah.
1: But so, so with I this, in mind, I need it. But so with this in mind, I just feel like this might be Cody Ford's swan song. This year, they've got no future ties to him anymore. It's all over after this year. And so in that way, They just stocked the room with another run of veteran talent. And it's going to be on him. This kind of, he's lost the shine. Nobody thinks he can do the job anymore. He was benched the second they could find somebody better. Drew,
2: you know what this sounds like? What? The Buffalo news story. Oh, I was going to say the Buffalo news covering sports. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Didn't Jay Skursky say. Oh, slam dunk. And on that one,
1: yeah, yeah, Jay Skursky, we all know the story. That's hilarious. Go back to last summer's podcast. You'll hear all about it. Guys, for tonight, we got to get out of here. But this has been fun. I'm glad that we can laugh at some of these things, some of the absurdity, but also find some meaningful talking points that come out of this minicamp, OTA kind of environment. Hopefully, by the time training camp rolls around, some of these have crystallized into actual focal points. Uh, We're gonna need to know what Cody Ford is and isn't. You know, it'll be interesting to see what unit he's working with out of the gate. You know what else this team
2: thinks? You know what else we need to know by uh, training camp? What's that? Is if uh, Prohaska found a house so he can come in studio, (laughs) right? That's hilarious.
3: I got two more lined up for
4: tomorrow too. We'll see what happens.
1: Of course you do. And then. the, the wide receiver stuff, all this, it's going to be a lot of fun. Anthony, between now and training camp, like so much is going to transpire. You're going to be covering all of it over a cover one. Where can people find you on social? You
4: can find me on Twitter at pro underscore underscore ant. That's pro two underscores A-N-T. And you can also find me on TikTok under the exact same handle. And then, of course, I host Disguise Coverage live every Wednesday. At 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube, and then following up on any podcasting apps or platforms. And I'm also one of the three co hosts of the Cover One Film Room, along with Eric Turner and Mr. Kendall Mirsky, breaking down game tape and all 22 footage on a variety of players, topics, schemes, X's and O's, anything and everything you need to know and learn about the game of football and the Buffalo Bills. And that is live every Tuesday at 7 p.m., moving to 9 p.m. on Tuesdays as we get closer towards the season. And that's me in a nutshell. I was going to try and make another Silver Linings playbook joke, but I didn't have it in me. I'm almost disappointed. Myself. Yeah, I'm disappointed in myself. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I was trying to drag it out so I could think of one, and I didn't have anything. I'm,
2: Disappointing I'm like Jurassic Express last night.
4: Yeah, losing I, the belts like that.
2: If I could just, <laughs> feel
1: like he's behind the Iman, you see it. Right, I could hit him with like he's behind the TV. I can't hit him with anything.
4: What's nice though is that the Bills got these young edge rushers, and it's nice to you know have a uh, Chris to have several you know or at least a couple young bucks on the edge right there that <laughs> <must> work well <laughs> together in tandem pairings. All right, and, get out of here.
1: You know. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> All
2: right,
1: guys, I've had enough of this nonsense. We gotta get out of here. I'm I'm just glad that we can button up what is and what isn't worth talking about over the course of an. Just because let's talk about it. It's nonsense season. It's it gonna is. get worse, and it's only gonna get worse. Yeah, I'm happy the Buffalo Bills aren't a part of it. Let's all just bask in that glory.
4: Yeah, like mm, Keith like Lee. Lee.
1: and thank God.
2: God, yes, yes,
4: yes. <sighs> yes,
2: Drew, you set
4: us up. You did it. That's a wrestler's thing.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh, bask in his glory.
3: Oh, oh, fantastic. Is I'm Drew Gear. That's <laughs> Anthony
1: Brohaska. That's Chris Kruger. And this has been your Rock Power Report.
3: Whether you're a world class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well being and proper recovery for top notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network.